If you don't have the next leak-proof period underwear in your life, let me fill you in. I'm living in Iceland for the next three months and I legitimately packed at least 10 pairs. Why? Because I'm in a rental and I don't want to ruin the sheets. Plus, they're sustainable, comfortable, and super absorbent even on my heaviest days. That's right. No more stained underwear or sheets going in the trash. They've seriously changed my life. Find out why millions of people who menstruate like me have made the switch to that leak-proof life. Use code GIRLBOSS for 15% off only at nix.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. And thank me later. Hello, we are back. You're listening to Girl Boss Radio, and I am your new host, Avery. I'm the founder and CEO of Bloom, a workplace design consultancy on a mission to build better workplaces for everyone. I'm a womanist, an accidental influencer, and a firm believer that work should work for all of us. If you've questioned the old ways of working and you want to be successful on your own terms, you're not alone. Women everywhere are challenging the status quo and crafting work that works for them. This season, we're giving you career advice you can actually use straight from the world's most impressive and successful women. Thank you for tuning in. Let's do this. I'm so excited to kick off this season with my good friend, Joanna from NYX. If you don't know her already, Joanna founded the innovative underwear and intimates brand, NYX. And recently she sold it for over 300 million marking one of the biggest exits led by a woman founder in Canadian history. Huge stuff. Today we'll be talking about success, what it means to her, how that definition has changed over her career, and what really happens when you get everything you've ever wanted from work. It's going to be a really fun, special, and heartwarming conversation. Keep listening. Joanna, thank you so much for joining me today here on this episode of Girl Boss Radio. We are delighted to have you. And I know how everyone listening will answer this question, but I'm curious how you would answer it. Do you think that you are successful? Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> the answer hasn't always been yes. It's probably been a resounding no at many points throughout my journey with Nick's, especially. But at this point in time, I'm feeling pretty good. That's great. And at Girl Boss, we are all about crafting success on your own terms. What does success mean to you? I think about success more holistically than I think just relating to my career. So for me, it has a lot to do with, am I smiling more days than I'm sad? Am I feeling fulfilled in what I'm doing and challenged? Am I growing? And then am I doing that at the end of the day, feeling like I'm improving as a person instead of letting all of the things that can be associated with success, like ego and competitiveness and whatnot into my sphere. Uh So those are some of the ways that I think about success. Why do you believe that you're successful today? What makes you feel that way? I think I've made a lot of progress. I mean, honestly, a lot of it comes from like this inner peace that I've found within myself over the past couple of years. I know Avery, we've known each other for a long time. I think you've seen me at different moments where there's been points where I haven't been at peace with myself. I've been quite insecure and anxious and just uneasy. And so when I think about the phase of life that I'm in right now, I feel pretty comfortable with myself. I'm happy with what I've accomplished. And I have not a ton of friends, but I have like a solid group of friends, family, my partner, who I feel like are rooting for me and I'm rooting for them. 
That's so important. I think that the people you surround yourself with can unlock a whole new level of feeling grounded. But I love what you mentioned about insecurity. And I think that this comes up for a lot of people that are listening in right now. And I think in particular for people that are early in their career, because they could be looking at you and think, okay, well, you've had this fantastic career even before Nick's, you were super, super successful. What advice would you give to someone early in their career that is navigating insecurity? So I think at Nix we talk a lot, or I've been saying this for a while at least, about how the most aspirational thing in the world is to like yourself. And ultimately, that's what we want. You know, it's like why it's so important that we see ourselves represented in advertising and that we see ourselves in roles and in different places. And so that's where the two things are connected for me. If you have all the success on paper in the world, but you are living in constant pursuit of what's next and you are like not happy with who you are as a person, then ultimately I don't think that you're successful because at some point in time, all of this is going to be taken away from us and all we're going to be left with is ourselves, right? Because the truth is, is like, what we project to everyone outside, what we put on social media, how we show up in a room actually doesn't really matter at the end of the day for our happiness. It's like how we feel on the inside. We brought coaching in-house at Next. We talk about like the itty bitty shitty committee. There would be a time where on paper I would be successful, but on the inside, I would just be running through like all the things that I did wrong, what I should have done differently the next time. And that's not success. If you can't celebrate the progress you're making because you're letting your self-doubt, your insecurities hold you back, then you're not successful. You're like ticking boxes on a goal list. It's like this really awkward dance or like walking across a tightrope at all times. Like you want to get to the other side. In some cases, you really need to because you're in the middle of the tightrope, but it's like really hard and shaky and uncomfortable. So I totally know what you mean. I think that for me, I've always defined success as having complete autonomy and flexibility over my time and my energy. But I think that one thing that I've been missing, which I've unlocked recently, just having more conversations with friends like you and getting closer with my sister and just becoming closer with myself is that liking myself is something that I haven't necessarily dove deep enough on. Because now that I do feel like I have more flexibility and autonomy over my time and energy, which is great, I still kind of find myself tuggling with this idea of success and whether I am successful or not. And you do really have to like yourself to achieve that totally. So when did you first realize you were successful? I think there's two versions of this. So I always felt quite successful in my career because I always chose to do something that I loved. And so every milestone, I was excited. You know, like when I got my first job, I guess it was an internship because they paid me. But my first job at Universal, which was a record label, they called me CSI Girl because my whole job was to photocopy newspaper prints all day long. And then I would get news ink on my hands, on my face, walk around the office, like weaving CSI prints everywhere. I still felt successful because I'd like gotten this role in this industry that I'd been dreaming about for so long. And I just like couldn't believe that I was there, you know? So even though I was the most junior person in the entire company, I still felt successful because I was like, I'm where I want to be and I'm on this path and I'm loving what I'm doing. So 
I felt good in my career choices. And I also like always chose careers where they were really tied to my identity. I've never had a job where I go to a party and someone's like, what do you do? And then I give an answer and they want to move on. I've always had those jobs where people are like, that's your job. And then we talk about it, you know? And then I guess with Nick's, when did I know that I was successful? That's been, you can't see because this is, that's been doing the up and down roller coaster. (laughs) The truth about being an entrepreneur is that most days you feel successful in the morning, like a failure in the afternoon. It's really up and down. And so again, I think from the start, there's been moments where I felt like, wow, this is going to work. And I'm like so excited going back to the first day that we launched. But then there's also been countless moments where I'm like, what am I doing? And this why? is, you know, <laughs> the, why am I doing this? Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> the tr- like, honestly, the truth is, is like, it doesn't matter how successful you are, you still are going to have those moments and days. Totally. So knowing CSI girl, early days at Universal, right? I love that. It, what's interesting about that is you created a name for yourself because you were like that invested, that engaged and that good at what you were doing, right? I'm curious, how has your definition of success shifted from early in your career to now? The biggest thing, honestly, I think is it's less about looking outwards and it's so much more about looking inwards. So it used to be all about what are the things that I can put on a resume or what are the things that I can add to my bio or that are going to impress other people from like an external standpoint. And now so much more of the focus has been what are the things that are going to make me feel good about myself as a human. And it doesn't matter how successful you are. Like I said, if you don't feel comfortable with who you are on the inside, then you're not successful. If you've gotten there by like stepping on other people's backs, then you're not going to feel great either. So for me, I think it's become more about internal, being authentic to who I am, leading with integrity, working on liking myself a little bit more today than I did before recognizing I'm not going to be perfect in everything, but picking my moments and what I want to focus on and always smiling more than crying. That's been a universal truth the whole way. I like, I like to have fun. Yeah. 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 And I think that too, one thing that I love about you is that you are big on like your feelings. Like I think that you are really open and really vulnerable and I'm the same way, but I think that sometimes it can be so overwhelming and you can find yourself in your feels in a very deep way a lot. Yeah. I've heard that like from team members as they feel more comfortable kind of sharing things with me. They're like, you're like the weather. Like when you're the sun, you make everyone feel so warm around you and it's like your superpower. But if it's cold and chilly and rainy, like everyone feels that from you too. Like I'm very much an energy person in that regard. So there were times in Nick's when I was feeling like a failure where honestly, Avery, especially when we were in the office, I would sit in my car for 10 minutes before going in and just like mentally pump myself up to walk inside the building and like be really conscious about showing up in a good way. And that's not like toxic positivity. That's just recognizing that people were looking to me. They were looking to me and also like they chose to work at Nick's, you know, like they made really big life choices to be there. And so 
you know, sometimes you do have to just like set aside that time to reframe, get into the right headspace. And you have to work on liking yourself. It is so much easier to give up. It just is. And in those moments in your car, you're holding space, right? To check in with yourself and to really kind of like challenge whatever feelings were coming up for you that weren't going to serve you that day and the people around you. So I totally agree that some people could definitely frame that as toxic positivity. But I think that when it's like an act of self-care, an act of like self-love, I know that when I am like the sun, like it just radiates and creates this amazing ripple effect for folks around me and really kind of trying to get yourself into that headspace. I think that that's great. It is in itself like almost like a form of meditation to have those like little private moments. I did that when I had a puppy, <laughs> when I got a puppy and <laughs> I would hang out of my car because like I, my company's always been a remote company, but I think that I spent a lot of time and spend a lot of time with my dog. I would have to take like a little 10 minute break in my car. And I think that there's a lot of people that are probably listening to me, like are listening to like us share this right now. I see this a lot with like working mothers. They talk about like eating in their car, like hanging out in their car, just taking that time and space in their car. I feel like this is like not an unusual experience for a lot of people, like founder or not. Yeah, you need to escape to a safe place where you can like reset and really get back into feeling good. And I think that for the first few years of running Nix, I got told by a lot of people, like, protect your energy. You're going on off like full steam. You're going to burn out. And it took me a little while to recognize just how important that advice was. And protecting your energy doesn't have to mean that you like take a month off and stop work. It can literally mean that you take 10 minutes every single day before you start to like just get ready, you know? Totally. Or you go for a walk. Yeah. Totally. I love that. So recently you hit a massive milestone. And for those who are listening that may not necessarily be aware of this, you sold a portion of your company for $328 million. I'm curious, first and foremost, how are you celebrating? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to celebrate with you, Avery. <laughs> it's so interesting. I think because I love Nick so much and I am staying on, there's been a part of me that's been a little bit resistant to celebrate because I still own a lot of the company. I'm still leading the company. I don't want to go anywhere. And so there's been this like huge milestone, but it's also, it's like my baby's growing up, you know, like I want to be excited. And so when it happened, actually, the one thing that I knew I wanted to do was take all of my closest girlfriends on a big trip. So we're going to do a big weekend in Miami, It's my birthday weekend where I was for my 30th birthday and my bachelorette party and we're going to go and relive it just with a little bit more pizzazz or like whatever. <laughs> sparkle, <laughs> a little more sparkle. <laughs> and I am so excited for this. I've actually never done a Miami trip or a Miami girls trip. So I'm really excited for this. I think it'll be awesome. But I do think that your reflection on even though you're still going to be super involved with Nix and you sold a part of it, but not all of it, you still own a big portion of Nix. I love that you're celebrating because it is such a massive milestone. And a lot of people forget this, but, or they don't know this at all, but science sacks that we actually repeat what we celebrate. So it's super important for us to celebrate our wins, big and small. So 
For those of you who are listening, maybe you haven't sold your company for $328 million, but you just got a new job or you're promoted or you, I don't know, like navigated a tough conflict at work, go out with your friend or have like a Netflix night in or whatever it may be, celebrate it. It's so true. I was talking about this on Saturday night because my team and I went to this like big awards gala. We were nominated for an award. I won't lie, we all really thought we were going to win. And we were very excited. And it was actually as embarrassing as when they were doing our awards category, like uncross my leg and was ready to get up. And we didn't win. <laughs> oh. And I was like, okay, <laughs> cross the legs again, sit back down. Like, like I, that's how much we thought it was going to be ours. And I had a moment where I went sad, you know. Anyways, so we didn't win. We lost. Let's get used to saying when you lose or you fail or whatever. And so I had a moment where I got sad. And then you're right, Avery. I was like, we're here. Let's celebrate the ways that we have won, even though we didn't win this thing tonight. You know, and I think that that's so important is like to shift your mindset, to celebrate the wins. And then even if you have like a minor setback, a big setback, it's like, yeah, grieve in that process, but then also start to focus on the positive things so that you are ingraining in your brain a negativity loop. Totally, totally. And I think that one thing that you and I have talked about a bunch in the past is celebrating failures as well. And I love that you just said, like, it's good to frame a failure or a loss as those things. It's important to do so. But I think that with that, it's all a part of the growth journey. And I don't know any entrepreneur or anyone in life that hasn't navigated their fair share of failures. I'm curious, how have you navigated failure in the past? So on some of the biggest ones, I started drinking failure champagne, which I know you and I have talked about a little bit before. And so it's this idea that when you have such a big failure, instead of sitting and crying and like being in it, be in it for a bit, but then turn it on its head and think about all of the things you learned from that so that you never have it happen again. And so that's where failure champagne comes from. It's taking something that's usually reserved for celebration and using it for a failure because actually for my really big ones, there is something worth celebrating to know you're never going to make those mistakes again and you're never going to be in that position again. Totally. And I said this earlier, and I mean, there's science behind the importance of celebrating what you want to repeat. And I think that some people might interpret that as, oh, so you want to celebrate repeating failure over and over and over again. And I think that that's not necessarily a bad thing. But I think that when you're celebrating failures and creating a practice and a habit around it, what you're celebrating is growth. You're celebrating taking risks, right? You're celebrating going for it. And even though you maybe didn't know if you were going to win or get the job or maybe get that funding that you were hoping to get. I think that the idea of having like a failure champagne practice is so awesome. And then for those of you who maybe don't drink champagne for whatever reason, you could have like a failure expensive latte from Starbucks or yeah, sure, <laughs> or a failure Pepsi or whatever, a failure cake. There's exactly. so many things. <laughs> I actually love the idea of failure cake. That sounds delicious. Um, uh, so yeah. good. <laughs> so I Sounds so good. Yes, yes. And getting back into the sale of your company, you also made history in a huge way. The sale of NYX marked the largest exit led by a woman in Canadian history. 
And in a vulnerable Instagram post, you shared your thoughts on why this achievement meant so much to you. Can you share more with us on your thoughts on this massive achievement and some of the reflections that came up for you? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that came up for me was just, you know, exits or at least like a dollar amount or a milestone like that are all about celebrating like the financial outcome. So it's like not necessarily as much about what you've built or the impact you've had, but it's quantifiable, right? From a financial standpoint. And so for me, it just brought back a lot of feelings around my experience fundraising. And I've been at Nix for almost a decade. I've pitched hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of investors along the way. I've been told no more times than I can count. And what really, really stood out to me was the fact that we passed this historic milestone in Canada and yet so many steps along the way, including quite recently last year, I got told that my idea was too niche, that it would make a cute lifestyle business, that it wasn't right for investment capital. And I just had had enough. And I kind of wanted to post it to share with all the people who are having a hard time that, first of all, when someone says this to you, don't let their limiting beliefs hold you back. And then second of all, that what someone says to you doesn't define you, you define you. And so I wanted to share those things really in response to the amount of gender bias that I received throughout my career of fundraising for Nix, which if anyone was going to get it, it was going to be me as making products. Week free funder a period under where people were like, what is this? We were taking a very different approach to marketing. I did two fundraising rounds while I was pregnant. It was all stacked against me to be met with those thoughts. Yeah. I love that. And I think that you've been really transparent and vulnerable with the barriers that you've experienced around prejudice, gender-based bias, and discrimination. And I think that a lot of folks navigate this, but don't actually talk about it because they want to center the success or the win or their accomplishment around the glowing highlights and the achievements and like the marketable, like packageable, nice things that people want to hear. But I think that often there's too a lot of fear to openly talk about some people didn't want to invest in you and some people didn't believe in what you were building. And I think that this is true too. Like there's folks that will go through the interview process and get their dream job, but will be reflecting on the, the four companies that rejected them along the way. So I think that like if someone is having a challenging time navigating what they may believe to be gender-based discrimination or bias or prejudice, what do you think that they can do to build that resiliency that you've built over your career? <laughs> That's a good question, Avery. It's so hard, honestly. Like I think that a lot of it comes back to that liking yourself and feeling really grounded in who you are. And so that when you do encounter those things, you can move past them faster. Being really selective about who you give your time and energy to, I think matters so much. I'll never forget, I went on Dragon's Den in 2014. This is like the Canadian version of Shark Tank. And I walked down on stage with my four models. And one of the men, as I was doing my introduction, you know how everyone says like, hello, I'm Joanna and I'm here with this business. And it's kind of like the entrepreneur's time to just talk, right? Without interruption. Uh -huh, uh -huh. One of the men interrupted me 
in the middle of my introduction and I was like, what is happening? Oh my God, did I do something wrong? And he said, wait, 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 can the model second from the right turn around? I just want to check out her butt. Unbelievable. And then I had to start over. You're so nervous. You have so much writing on this. And when I started over in my brain, I was like, I don't care if this guy offers me 10 times as much as everyone else. I'm never taking this asshole's money. Yes. I cannot be bought, you know, (laughs) period. And so, and he did. He offered me the most money and I was just like, nope. Max, would you like to talk? Be careful who you give your time and energy to. I've said this before about investors. When you finally are the one who's in the position where you get to choose, where you're that person, where you're finally at the stage in your career where headhunters are calling you and they want to hire you. Choose the good people, reward the good behavior, give your talent and love to the places that respect you, that have been doing the hard work, because that's how we're going to demand change, truly. And that's what I believe. Yeah. Yes. Take your talent somewhere else, you know? Yeah, totally. Wow. Are you getting, are you crying? No, I'm not crying. I'm like fired up. I'm like, that guy's such a (laughs) asshole. Yeah. Who let him be on television? Right. Is he still there? No, he's gone. He seems like a wild card. But again, it's like, be better. Cast somebody better. So speaking of gender bias and the gender gap in venture capital funding, the barrier to entry is really real. And in 2017, Harvard Business revealed a study that confirmed it essentially works by design. They found that in interactions between venture capitalists and entrepreneurs, that Venture capitalists pose different questions to men versus women entrepreneurs, and they tend to ask men promotion questions about their potential for gains and success, and they tend to ask women prevention questions about potential losses and not necessarily being successful, essentially setting up women to fail and not do super well in these meetings and interviews and setting up men to do well and to serve their own inherent bias. So... Your experience did not happen in a vacuum. What were your thoughts on this? Yeah, when this article came out and the study came out in 2017, I had spent probably three years of my life on the road raising money for Nix. So going to Silicon Valley, going to investor meeting. And when the article came out, I will never forget. I was up north, like outside of Toronto, summer, I think. And I read it and I was like, yes, yes, like... This is what's been happening. And I showed it to my partner and I was like, I told you, I told you, like it just has felt off. And so I felt so validated because you go into these meetings and you'd be asked really weird questions. And it almost felt like you weren't being given the chance to talk about what your company could become, what it could be, those like promotion style questions. And instead it was all about like defending what you've built and how you're going to protect it. So I felt so validated when I saw those questions and it continued. Even after that study came out, it continued. I experienced it again. I raised our first significant amount of financing when I was pregnant with my twin daughters. And I was very open about my pregnancy during that process. And I'll never forget the feedback I got from some folks is like, who wants to be the last money in before she goes and has twins? Someone asked me if I was going to take the money and run. Actually. Like, are you going to steal my money and take it and run? I was like, I'm not going to steal your money. What are you talking about? Yeah, I've been working at this for nine years of my life to just take your money and flee the country. 
So it's remarkable. It's remarkable, truly. And I don't think people even know that they're doing it. In this article, you made a comment about not wanting to hold that title for a long period of time. And I loved it. It gave me goosebumps. And being your friend, I was like, this is such a Michelle Obama boss move moment. But beyond that, it was just like so heartwarming and speaks to me a lot to your character. And I think that knowing you as a friend and then also being someone that's worked with you in some capacities, I know you care deeply about mobilizing and uplifting and supporting women. Why did you say that? Why was that something like, of all the things you could say, why that? <laughs> I mean, I don't think that I should hold the record. I think there should be companies so much bigger than mine. And I want other people to win. I want there to be many, many people who are successful. And I think that's something also along the way that's just inherently kind of been there is this idea that like, there's only enough room for so many women. Oh, there's only a handful can be successful or there's only one seat at the table. There's not infinite seats at the table. And I don't feel that way. I don't think it has to be catty and competitive and like, I win, you lose. Totally. No, I think that what you're speaking to, I mean, there's this phenomenon called ladder pulling, which in my opinion speaks to like Girl Boss 1.0, where it was like, survive and succeed and do well at all costs, mirror the behaviors and ways of working that men, specifically het, white cis men, have behaved in for millennia. And let's copy those behaviors because that's the playbook and there will only be enough room for one of us. We've seen so many of these kind of like situations and dynamics play out in the workplace. And I'm sure that you've navigated this in the past. I know I have where it's like, you're the only one in the room and really made to feel like you will only ever be the only one in that room or the only one that will ever be around that table. And I think that this really does work by design. So for us as women in business, like really pushing up against that norm and those assumptions and essentially like that like system of oppression is what's going to change in the fabric of like work forever. I love that. It was a really, really energizing and invigorating thing to hear from a woman, but let alone like a woman that's a friend that I admire. It just made me so happy. So two more questions for you. I wanted to do like a quick rapid fire and then we're going to wrap up with a question from our Girl Boss community. So how many unread emails do you currently have in your inbox? A little over 4,000. Okay. <laughs> We won't get into that. <laughs> What's the first thing you do when you wake up? Drink water. Nice. Okay. Yeah, uh, is that okay? <laughs> I think so. That's good. That's what like at least all the books tell you to do and not go to your phone. I always check my Instagram the first thing I wake up. I mean, if I can, I hit snooze first like 1500 times and then I drink water, but there's usually water in the mix. <laughs> yeah. And go-to snack when you're PMSing. Mom, Avery, I don't know this. You must have a go-to snack. I feel like we all do. I'm like super into olives. Yes. Like over the last couple <laughs> years. We can be out of everything in my house, but we're, if we're out of green olives, I'm like, what's happening? So maybe <laughs> that's my snack. Must be. And then, so you've had a really rough day at work. What do you do when... The workday ends and home life starts. I mean, for the last two and a half years, I walk downstairs and 
my three little kids like come and run and give me, bombard me with hugs. So that's the transition moment. I like walk through the baby gate and then it's a, a whole different world. I love that. Yeah. It's probably a lovely heartwarming moment from the outside, but also probably pretty intense. So chaotic. <laughs> so chaotic. A whole yeah. other level of exactly. like working. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Thank you so much for humoring my rapid fire question. Every episode, we ask our guest a ask a girl boss question. And today we got one and I wanted to share it with you. So they said, hi, Joanna. I love the super leak proof NYX underwear. It changed my life. I'm feeling stuck in my job right now. And I think it's time for a pivot. How do you know when it's time for a career change? If you're thinking it enough that you're submitting a question, to ask someone else. I think you're really looking for validation of something that you already know. But if that's not clear enough, then what I like to do sometimes is make pros and cons lists. Just goes back to you. What do I like about my job currently? What do I not like about my job currently? What would I be looking for in something else? Even if it comes down to what would I be looking for in something else? Ask yourself, okay, is this something I could get from my current role if I raise my hand? My best friend has this saying, no hands, no cookies. No one's going to come and hand you a cookie. You have to like raise your hand and say you want one. And so, yeah, I would do a pros and cons list. What do I like? What do I not like? And what would I be hoping to get from something else? And then just see how the list sweeps out and see where the balance is. Oh, and also check in on your energy levels because, you know, there's been moments where I've known that I need a change, but I don't make that change exactly in that moment because I know I have so much going on in other aspects of my life and going for a new job can be pretty full on. So then the last thing I was thinking about is like, is the timing right right now? Or what would need to happen for the timing to be right? Yeah, totally. And I think that you're absolutely right. Really checking in on yourself and trusting your gut. If there's a part of you that's whispering or even loudly saying, I need change, I need to pivot, like trust that part of yourself. And I think that you're right around timing it doesn't mean you have to make a change this instant. You can gracefully kind of move towards that, check in on your energy levels and make that shift when you're really fully, wholly ready to do so. Joanna, thank you so much for joining me today in this conversation. I just wanted to ask, is there anything that you'd like to leave people with before we wrap up? Oh yeah, I want to come back to that first notion of success and just say to be a success, you also have to be a failure. So never forget that. And like you said, the fails, their growth, it's all part of the journey. And no person who you think is successful got there without failing a gajillion times along the way. I love that. Yeah, I'm excited for people to fail and take it and have a little celebration and then grow and then ultimately find their happiness. Amazing. So for folks that are listening in that don't necessarily follow you just yet, where can they find you? Where can they keep up with all the things that you're doing with Nix and beyond? So you can find me on Instagram. My company is at Nix and then I'm at Joanna Nix. That's probably the best place to find us. Amazing. Thank you, Joanna. It was so great having this conversation again. And I hope everyone enjoyed listening in. That's a wrap at our first episode on the new season of Girlboss Radio. Thank you so much to all of you for tuning in. Please rate this episode or leave a comment to tell us what you thought and what you'd like for us to talk about next. Until then, keep blooming.